Every time it rains, Lord, I run to my window. All I do is wring my hands and moan. Listen to that thunder roll, and I can hear that lonesome window. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? You been gone so long now. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? The wolf is scratching at my door, and I can hear that lonesome wind. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Someone said they thought they saw you roaring down in Reno with a big old man from San Antonio. They tell me I'm a fool to pine for you, but what do they know? Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? You been gone so long now. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? The wolf is scratching at my door, and I can hear that lonesome wind. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? There ain't nothing I wanna do. Oh, I guess I could get stoned. And let the past paint pictures on my head. Kill a fifth of Thunderbird and try to write a sad song. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? You been gone so long now. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Wolf is scratching at my door, and I can hear that lonesome wind. Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Tell me, baby, why you been gone so long? Hello there, VJS. Um, Joel and I are doing a double, a double, another double header. Another tonight. double header. Uh, I think this we did this. This is our second podcast for your group this week, right? It is. That's true. And I just uploaded one. I don't remember when. Yesterday, right? Yeah, you yeah. uploaded it yesterday. We did it yesterday. It's very windy out there. That's what's yeah. all that. Um, yeah. So not only have we done one for you guys already this week, but we, we just already tonight just did another one. So if neither of us can speak, then you'll know why. Um, didn't we do another double header though? Oh, we ended though. We started with VJS last time and ended with Latin America. I don't remember, you know, because we did the COVID news. Oh, that one got dark. That one got dark. That one got dark. But tonight we're killing the game. I'm feeling in top form. Top form. I'm feeling really energetic. I'm feeling really alive. High podcast vibes. High podcast vibes. All right. Well, tonight, um, in this ep, we will be. We'll be talking about a chapter out of Dan Brinks's book, which is called The Judicial Response to Police Killings in Latin America. I remember this book. It's a Cambridge book. Cambridge book. Uh, 2000, Cambridge book. 2008. 
So an introduction, a theory chapter. <laughs> yeah, case the case, case studies. Yeah, you know a it. Short conclusion, and we out. You know it. Same. It's a great book. This yeah. is a it's a really great book. He may have a slightly. I can't remember. In any case, whatever. Basically, this he has some early empirical stuff. So they've read chapter two. The theory chapter, which is the theory chapter. Um, <laughs> but is actually for him not quite right. So they actually read a, an empirical chapter. He didn't quite follow the true Cambridge Whoa. form. Whoa. But it's like the empirical chapter that sets up the patterns as opposed to explaining the causal relationships. Okay. Okay. So, so I think it's, still it's like theory ish. Well, I think no. it's like between the intro and the theory chapter. Whoa. Whoa, crazy. Yeah. So anyway, on the formula, that's um, the greats do. This is what the greats do. That's what the greats do. <laughs> the you know, greats they take do. the formula and they, they innovate. They innovate. They innovate on the formula. So he looks, uh, Brinks looks at two cities in Argentina, Buenos Aires and Cordoba, two cities in Brazil, Sao Paulo and Salvador de Bahia, and the country of Uruguay. Uh, the which whole country. Ha- the whole country. Well, which has I mean, it's like popula- tiny, right? It has a population close to that of these. You remember when cities. you interviewed for that job in Montevideo? No, I've forgotten mm, about that. Skype interviewed for that job in did, Montevideo. Did, didn't I? Who was there that Juan, we knew? Juan Bobiacini. Juan yeah, that's too bad I didn't get that job. I mean, not that I don't love that I'm at Hamilton, but what if we were living in Uruguay right now? It'd be dope. That would be pretty, pretty righteous, I guess. I don't know. I'd have better Spanish. You'd have better <laughs> I'd have better Spanish. Shit, we'd both have better Spanish. Simone would have awesome Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, we would have moved to Uruguay when she was three. Yes, she would have been Uruguayan. She would have been Uruguayan. Instead, she's a central New Yorker. <laughs> she's a central New Yorker. Well. Whatever. Yeah, it is what it is. Wounds you know? and gifts. Wounds, Wounds and gifts. And gifts. Um, all right. What are we talking about? We haven't even t- started talking. We talked about, we've talked to like inside baseball yeah. on professional political science, but I don't remember. It's extrajudicial killings. Well, it's the judicial response no. to police killings. Judicial response to police killings. Is what the book is called. This chapter has a lot of rich case material, which I am mostly going to forego uh, in order to... There's fire out there, but it's just the wind? Well, it could be both. There's a lot of wind. That's definitely wind. Yeah, that's wind. Well, what's it rattling? I don't know. I don't know yet. Best not to think about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're going to look at patterns. And, like, this is one of these chapters that, like, if you guys... I know, I know where we are and whatnot, but... If you read this chapter, it's got really... If you read only one thing. <laughs> read this Brinks chapter. Read this Brinks I mean, chapter. It's, it's good. He's got a lot of really great stuff. Is it good? It. It's really good. 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 It's good. good. It's straight okay. up good. I like... I like Are you starting or am I starting? You're starting. I mean, I'm, I've started, but... You've you, started. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> You're just listening to the wind blow everything around well, outside. it's a little nerve-wracking. Page 38. In technical terms, then, the two-fold dependent variable... For the study is the level of effectiveness and inequality of each judicial system in response to police violence cases. So the twofold dependent variable for the study is the level of effectiveness and inequality. So that's the twofold effectiveness Correct. and equality. Exactly. Of each judicial system in response to police violence cases. So he is looking at what is the what things, what what independent variables are affecting effectiveness and inequality. Yeah, he's interested in explaining why some 
systems are effective and some systems are more equal. Mm -hmm. Now, is that strictly speaking legal to have a two-fold dependent variable? (laughs) Has he violated? I mean, has he been... Well, you know, comparative is like two by twos. Yeah, right. You got to have have it. (laughs) Right, right, right. we're not actually going to look at his theoretical explanation at okay. all, um, partly because I was more interested in actually giving the students the patterns, which are fascinating. All right. Um, so you want me to just keep going? Yeah, keep on going. All right. This chapter graphically demonstrates several things. First, levels and determinants of inequality and in the distribution of initial violations vary independently from inequality within the courts. So... Levels and determinants of inequality in initial violations vary independently from inequality within the court. So, so these are separate. What this is saying is that your likelihood of getting shot by the police are not identical to your likelihood about getting justice for being shot by the police. Yeah. After the fact. Yeah. It's like law and order, right? There are two. <laughs> right? There are two elements: the police who. Yeah, yeah, Investigate the crimes and the uh, shit that you prosecute or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember how it goes. Yes, yeah, so I don't I'm know. Sure I'm sure. I'm sure you can still see reruns anyway. Well, are there reruns? People don't watch cable anymore, do they? That's anyway, a... <laughs> we can't talk about CPL. This we, we gotta can't. keep going. We gotta, we gotta keep, keep going. going. We're gonna go right. way over. But in any case, th- there are some things that are the same overlapping between those that you will be unsurprised to learn about. But there are others that that differ. So. Okay. Citizens are more likely to experience discrimination at the hands of the police, you don't say, than in the courts (laughs) in nearly all the systems analyzed here. And the factors that mark the difference are not the same inside as outside the courts. That's what we just said. Yeah. Uh, High average levels of effectiveness in a particular court system may mask a high level of inequality. Correct. So you could have a super effective court system, but it's highly unequal justice. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we'd be like, oh, those courts are great. Right. But also they're not. Not if depending on who you are. Who you are. Cool. Okay. And then I'm looking at a chart. I've given you a lot of charts. So I've given, I've thrown a, a lot of charts at Joel from this chapter. And so we're going to think about them. This might All be right. our kind of traditional two by two here that I've yeah, given you first. Yeah, we've got two axes. It's really not a two by two. It's a two by three. Right? Well, but it's that- really a three by three. Three. Oh, because it's like a high, low, medium. Or high, something. medium, yeah, low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is one of the greats. He's, he's great. always <laughs> innovating on this. He's one of the greats. He's always just always. taking that what you expect and blowing it out of the water, <laughs> but not in a way that you're like, whoa. But it's like not Charles. You're like, it's not Charles Tilly. He's just drawn lines. Not, not <laughs> Chuck Tilly. And we've been like, this is amazing. Uh, all right. So I'm seeing here that. Um, Okay. All right, tell them what page the chart is on. It's on page 40, and I'm seeing on your y-axis, I'm seeing equality. And on your x-axis, I'm seeing effectiveness. And I'm seeing that you've got high, medium, and low, low, medium, and high on both axes. And I'm seeing that basically Uruguay is high, high. So very equal and very effective. Yes, Cordoba is highly effective, not very equal. Right. And that's in Argentina, right? Correct. Okay. And then I'm seeing that Buenos Aires is maybe medium in both. 
Okay. Effectiveness and equality. Looks like it's on the lower medium of both, if that is at all supposed to be centered. And then I'm seeing the two Brazilian cases is high equality, low effectiveness. Which is a sort of interesting box. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. It means that no one gets justice. No one gets Doesn't justice. Doesn't matter equally. who the fuck you are. You're not getting justice. Yeah. Somehow, I'm not surprised by this. Well, keep going. Okay. Keep going. And that's all I see here. Okay. So I just keep moving? Keep this moving. Is the best podcast. Keep moving. Ten minutes and <laughs> I just, just talked about TV. Just talked about TV. Love this. And all right. inside political science. Now, that one. Okay, I mean, wait that, a minute. Oh, so what I will say. Here? So you said you were not surprised by this. And what I will say is that you are not alone, right? Um, so on page 40, I think maybe the same page of this chart, um, Brink says, this pattern seems to confirm the impression of many. I'm in great company. Of many. Oh, of many. Of many. Okay. Uh, a great company. He has some citations there, you know. Um, that rights are generally ineffective and do not reach the marginalized or underprivileged, even in systems that for the well-off work relatively well. The sole exception among my cases is Uruguay, where the courts seem to respond even to those who cannot supply their own resources. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a paradise in the region, right? They are. They are. Right. Paradise. we got to find out what Connie's parents think about. About the Uruguayans? About the Uruguayans. <laughs> is there like a lot of anti-Uruguayan chauvinism or... I don't know. I don't think so. But Does anybody think about know. Uruguay? I got stuck in Uruguay when I went to Argentina. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I was stuck on the stuck tarmac on the for stuck God the knows how many hours. It's a long time. Yeah. All right. So in absolute numbers of what? I'm not sure. But uh, in absolute numbers, Sao Paulo is the indisputable leader. Of, of sorry, of deaths by <laughs> the hands of the police. Sao Paulo is the indisputable leader, amassing approximately 7,500 deaths at the hands of police over the course of the 1990s. Jesus. On a per capita basis, however, Salvador leads all the cities in the study with a rate of police killings three times that of Sao Paulo's, its nearest competitor. Sao Paulo and Buenos Aires finished the decade in a dead heat in per capita terms, while Cordoba follows and Uruguay shows the lowest number in absolute and relative terms. Right. Okay, wait. Let me look at this real quick. Sorry. So, Sao Paulo has high police deaths. Salvador has higher per capita police deaths. And, uh, okay. It doesn't map on. I mean, that's only one dimension. Right, and I mean, well, it's like a different dimension that's on the first chart that you looked at. I yeah. mean, one of the things, I guess, that this quote partly shows us is that by when we don't control for a population, we can see some really stark kind of illustrative comparisons. So here's a good one for you from page 46. More people were killed by Sao Paulo police in 1992 alone than the military dictatorship killed for political reasons in over a 15-year period. Damn. How about them apples? So in democracy, more people were killed in one city in one year by the police than the entire 15-year <laughs> military is dictatorship. How is your police force? How is your police force? Oh, my God. This is a shout-out to Amari, who's writing about this for her. Oh, my God. For her uh, paper. Yeah. 
you don't want to live in Sao Paulo. Not and if, would you? Who would call the police? Not if you are right? in a favela, particularly. Right. As we will learn. Right. Especially not if you are dark skinned. Right. Right. But but. Right. If you are in a different category, might be totes fine. Man. To be, you know. Man. Well, no wonder then all of these favelas have these, like, parastate apparatus. Absolutely. Right? I mean, like, fuck that, man. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. Like, it would More even... people killed in 1992 alone. Than in the 15 years of a dictatorship. I mean, that's... 15 years That's wild. Like, I mean, honestly. Yeah. Lot. I was, you know, usually it's Latin America in the world that gets me this wound up, but like, <laughs> I this is really get me wound up. This All is right. a good. You're right. Brinks's book is really good. This is this is some strong social science. He's some strong social science, and his case material that like backs up these charts, which I haven't given you, is like really excellent. Of these like stories of like the police killings, and like I mean, it's strong. Strong. Yeah, it's, just, it's a strong book. All right. So 47 to 52, I've got five pages I'm reading here. In general, victims tend to be men from the lower classes, are more likely to live in shanty towns. This is, you just said all this stuff. Yeah, sorry. And in Brazil are more likely, no, it's fine. And in Brazil are more likely to be dark skinned. Brinks found a case in which a witness reported a police officer saying, if he's black and from the favela, we shoot first and ask questions later. You had written here, though, you got to tell you, but we short first <laughs> and ask questions that's later. Not, that's not right. We pants him. And then... <laughs> it shouldn't be funny because this is serious. Yeah, it's serious. It's not. I shouldn't be joking. I shouldn't be joking. But... If he's black and from the favela, we shoot first and ask questions later. In another case where a witness reported the police saying, he's black, he's poor, he's from the favela, he must die. Whoa. 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 I mean, in a certain regard. I mean, that's like a really wild thing to say. Yeah. Like, he must die. I mean, especially if we're thinking about this, like, in the context of this doubleheader that we're doing, right? We were just talking about the military dictatorship in Argentina. Um, And we were sort of talking about the ways in which the military really wanted to mask. You know, they talked about disappearing people as opposed to killing them, right? That there was this sort of sense of masking that human rights, right? They allow Amnesty International right. to come in and do a report right. because they're like, look, we're not doing anything wrong. Whereas, like, here you've got people that are like cops that are like, anyway, that guy should die. Must die. That not guy should. must die. Like, must. Like, it's a necessity. Because he's poor and black, right? Just Man. sort of this bald-faced admission that, like, this is a race class act right yeah. a racial class-based act did you have you so we got to post to the forums or wherever you share stuff with this class you got to share with them that so it's a couple years ago that um donald glover's childish gambino project did that this is america oh yeah 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 and you remember how like that created a whole yep like global response yeah of, like, yeah this yeah is nigeria was the first one but then right. like they were everywhere and there's yeah. one that's this it's is brazil. brazil i remember that one yeah and it's a really dark one if i remember right i also recall that like i think it's a really dark one I in a parking garage yeah, yeah. where like the police then yeah, strap a poor person it. to the chair and then fucking shoot, shoot him or something him, yeah. like it's a 
really, really dark one. You got to share it with us. Yeah, like, yeah, I'll, I'll look for it. Is I'll a very and the whole article about the this about the global response to this is America, whatever is like. We'll also have to see if we can pull great. that up. It's from Popula. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, so I'll pull it piece. up. Popula is a great, a great news, not news. It's a great outlet. Anyway, I'll I'll give you some links. I'll yeah, you guys up with some links. Yeah. Um. All right. I got another chart. I got another chart. No, this is actually in a, in a chart. It's a table. I got to go. Uh, let me get better light here. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. Little, my scans no, are... It's all good. It's all good. Our, we don't have very good lighting also in our professional podcast studio. Yeah, here no, we got working. perfect lighting for the studio. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just... It sets the... little mood. We got some uh, Christmas sorry. lights Christmas that are colored lights. because those are the ones that our daughter likes. And we put them up and we never took them down because... They add well, some they, they're perfect for the podcasting. I couldn't do it without the Christmas without lights. The Christmas on. Lights. I actually, yeah, I definitely plugged them in just for podcasting. We always plug them in. Uh, Simone unplugs it so that she can plug, plug her computer in, and so Stardew she can Valley. play Stardew Valley. Uh, table two point one, which is on page fifty-seven. This is showing us the conviction rates by type of event and by city. So at the top, you've got type of event divided into police actions, private violence, and torture. And you're, uh, on the left-hand column, you've got your conviction rate. So Sao Paulo has a 6% conviction rate against police actions mm-hmm. with a 44% rate of conviction against private violence. Torture is not relevant here. There might have been data on that. I, I'm not sure right. why. Right, I don't know either. Uh, in Buenos Aires, by contrast, you get an 18, you know, they're about 18% conviction rate on police actions and a 37% rate on private violence. In Cordoba, you get a 38% rate of conviction against police actions. Many fewer cases here. Uh, and a 63% case against uh, in cases of private violence, really only only eleven cases. You have more cases of torture, where you get a sixty percent um, conviction rate in Cordoba. Fifteen cases of torture there. All right, uh, what's the time frame here? So, uh, I don't know. I don't have that on me. Okay. I mean, we're in the nineties, I think, but still, but like convictions for torture in the nineties. So. But what's important here, oh. what do you notice about these patterns, first of all? Well, what I notice about the pattern is that uh, I'm watching increasing numbers of convictions against police actions, but it's always smaller by a good amount than your conviction rate against private violence. Right. So, so you never hold the police accountable in the courts. Well, for certain things. So it's clear that the courts are able to hold police accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Because So the private violence is like... Did they beat their wives, I believe, counts in that category? Did they, like, off-duty? Or did the police beat their wives? This is against police. So this is all about Conviction the... rates against police. Correct. Oh, okay. So what it's this is... It's not in the title. The title of... Oh, sorry. The, the title of the t- table isn't should, very good. should have that. Okay, so it's convictions against the police. So it's separating out these different kinds of police... Things we could hold the police accountable for. Different kinds of police violence. Ah, no wonder torture exists. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's okay. all making sense now. So so if the police have done something egregious, right, mm-hmm. if there is clear evidence of torture, we see that we can actually hold them accountable. We see that when At they the are... At the highest rate. Right. No, no, not quite in Cordoba. 
But in any case, like we see that those levels are much higher in these cases of egregious acts and of these kind of private police violence. But here's what's wacky is in Uruguay, you get a 52% conviction rate for, let me make sure that's 52 and not 32, 52% conviction rate for police actions and a 0% conviction rate for private violence, but partly because there's two cases in private violence. Like, are there police just like that much more upstanding in Uruguay? Uh, Maybe. Right. Right. Maybe they are. Maybe you have like a greater professionalization of your police force. Maybe you have better training, better Maybe they're also like better paid and aren't experiencing terrible PTSD and then beating their families, right? I mean... For example. For example. For example. I mean, not that PTSD is an excuse to beat your family, but... If no excuses. There are no, no excuses. excuses there are just, explanations. There are explanations of why we might sort of... I just Not think about excuses. the work I've done with... Uh, yeah. Jailers. Jailers. No excuses, but there are explanations. Okay, That's so right. This is it. So what we're, what we're seeing, what Brinks is showing us here is the fact that this isn't just... The fact that that first column of police violence in the course of duty mm-hmm. has such abysmally low conviction rates. Except in Uruguay. Except in Uruguay. Is not showing an overall ineffectiveness of the judicial system. Right. Right? That okay. we can see that the judicial system can hold police accountable for certain kinds of activities, but is not holding police accountable for activities that are happening in the line of duty. That's really interesting. It's a really interesting finding Mm -hmm. so that's part of his setup like i said this chapter is this kind of like presenting the like empirical like over overarching patterns we're gonna have a chance to talk more about this Uh, probably i don't know you want to to say something now no well i just think it's interesting i I actually need to need to gather my thoughts (laughs) you know i mean can't think on the fly like this. I don't even know if I'm holding this one right. All right, side this up. one is crazy. So I've just yeah, given Joel the crazy chart that's on seventy-seven. Is it on seventy-seven? Uh, page seventy-seven looks like I've got like a bunch of confidence intervals. Here. You, you do kind of. So okay. So that little. Um, I love how I just knew those were confidence. Well, they're not quite confident. Oh, they're not quite oh, confident. Man. So the. Okay. So the. There are two categories in each bar of this chart, right? So you have like what? This is hard to read. I know. Well, can I tell you how it works? So give me one of the things. It's like poor and rich or something. Uh, Precarious versus ordinary residents. Okay, so poor and rich or poor and ordinary. No, I've got middle and lower class. Okay, that one, middle and lower. Precarious versus ordinary residents is like do you live in a favela Favela. or do you live in a house? Okay, so favela or not favela. So... There's a vertical line, right, that you yeah, see, and yeah. like a little short horizontal line, right? Yeah, some like tick marks. Yes. Okay, so the small line. horizontal line, that little line, yeah. indicates the average conviction rate for police in that location. So okay. in Cordoba and Buenos Aires, right? Conviction against police. A conviction of police who yeah. have committed the, the sort of violence during their policing action. Okay. The longer the vertical line, uh-huh. the more legal inequality there is associated with these, as Brinks calls them, extra legal traits. So the vertical line connects the rates between the favored and the unfavored category. So if that line is very short, okay. there is low inequality 
compared to like favela residents versus people that live in a regular neighborhood. Does that make sense now, how to uh, read the chart? Let me explain it back to you. Okay. See if it makes sense, because I don't think it made sense, but I'm going to explain it back to you, and you can help me uh, fill in the Because this chart is actually so, very sort of startling, and it's, I think, I'm actually one startled. of his. Your explanation did not make me go, whoa. Okay. Okay, so I'm looking at that horizontal line is showing me the average conviction rate. Right. Okay? And... The so look at a place like Cordoba first. Yeah, it's got like a wicked long line. Correct. In all of its everywhere. In every except, category. Except some versus no connection to crime. Okay, yes. But in precarious versus ordinary, middle to lower class, presence or absence of private prosecutor or demonstrations, I see their really long vertical line, which is showing me like a... The distance between... So the average conviction rate, if you are in a favela or a slum or whatever, mm-hmm. is that very low number. And the average conviction rate, if you live in a regular neighborhood, is that high number. Got you. Which then gives us that average number so that's that tick that in the middle. so the fact that there's no line in all of Uruguay... Right, they're basically all just the one... Yeah, so... You don't really have variance. Correct. You have no variance, no Correct. reported variance. Okay. I see. This is Well, you have no what you have is very little variance on these what what Brinks calls extra legal categories. Does that make sense? Right. So like that this right. doesn't have anything to do with like your case. This right. is You're like precarious versus ordinary residents. That's an extra legal category. That shouldn't have fuck all to do with whether or not you have a conviction or not. Right? Correct. In, in, if we're thinking in legal terms, right? Strictly legal terms. If we're thinking in strictly legal terms, it shouldn't matter. If you live in a favela or if you live in a nice neighborhood, like, shouldn't and matter. And in Uruguay, it doesn't. And in Uruguay, it doesn't. But in Cordoba... It matters a lot. It matters a lot. Where is Cordoba? Where in Argentina? Yeah. Let's see if we can Look pull up, up a map pull real up a quick map. for you. Like what's it? What's um, with this? Is maybe this is a question for Connie? It's not. Um, so it's <laughs> Sorry, not. Everyone. Connie's the. Well, I called. No, the, I, I gave a shout out to. I gave a shout out to Amari, who's writing about Amari. this topic. I know Amari, and who else? Lexi. Beer guy. Because in, in this there, class, I know is. her. You shouldn't give last names. So we'll have to oh. bleep it out with a like a thing. We have to bleep it out. You're right. Sorry. Um, Lexi's in there. Kevin's in there. You know Kevin. Yes, I know Kevin. Um, Kevin and Lexi were in the same section of my intro. That's funny. I think. I don't think Cordoba is all that far from. It's not like a suburb of Buenos Aires. It's like no, it's um, it's like kind of more in the in the middle. So like, see, it's more but in, it's the not in the middle. Well, look. I don't know. Connie, Connie, can, Connie can school you on like Oy. what you need to know about uh, Cordoba versus Buenos Aires. It's pretty far out there. It seems like it's pretty pretty much in the sticks, right? Like, that's my impression of Buenos Aires. That like it's or my my impression of Argentina is that it's Buenos Aires in the sticks. <laughs> that is about your impression. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess that's like. You know, Connie might agree, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Her mom definitely would agree, right? I don't know. I don't know. 
All right. Um, I don't know who else in this class that you know. I don't either. Those may be the ones that you know. So I, if I'm if I'm lower class, I don't want to be in on trial in Cordoba. You don't want to be no. trying to get justice against the police. Trying to get and justice you're gonna, against the police. In all these places, you're more likely, even in Uruguay, you're more likely to be shot by the police if you're poor. Right. But once you get to the courts in Uruguay, right, you're more likely to actually get justice. Yes, if I can get that far. Well, that no, I mean, I think it's like not if you can get that far. Is it like Paolo, the initial inequality wild. of the police? Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. So Sao Paulo is a giant. No, Sao Paulo, what's stark about Sao Paulo is how close to zero the lower bound is. Right. How no one gets, is that the, how no one gets justice? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as long as the line for Cordoba. Right. Because Cordoba is actually effective, but very unequal. And Sao Paulo is the one that's very I mean, the presence or absence of private prosecutor or demonstrations is the one that gets the most variance. So this is actually kind of interesting. And I don't quite know why private prosecutor or demonstrations are lumped together. Oh, are they in the same in that? They're the same. In They're that? the same. Like, I don't understand why. I don't know why he puts those together. I can't remember. He talks about them separately in the thing. But they're two different. So, right, one is, one is clearly associated with class. But I think they're also, like, how much pressure are you putting on... I guess they're lumped together for this reason. They are both representing how much pressure are you putting on the prosecution and the legal system more broadly to actually do their jobs. Right. Right. So do you have, you know, a private attorney that's able to press pressure, right, and, like, do your own work and some of this, and then do you actually have protests, right? Can you turn out the, the unions. Yeah, or whoever, right? Or your favela, like, neighborhood right. or whoever, right? That, like, can you actually get a crowd in the street to be like, I can't believe this happened. And then you're actually also more likely to have the police do their, or the courts do their job. This is an interesting chart. Interesting chart. Right, and in a legal system that's working, you actually would want that. I mean, this goes back to some of this discussion we've been mm -hmm. having about social accountability, right? In a functional legal system, you would actually not really want to see it being like, influenced by protest. No, heavens no. Right? You would want the justice system to work. No, no, I like the Uruguay. Right. Where does Uruguay get any variation? No, they don't get any variation anywhere. Yeah, their legal system is not marked by inequality. Yeah, and Sao Paulo is just always way down at the bottom. <laughs> Nothing's working. And, like, this is the average percentage of conviction, and it's, like, under 10%. They're protecting their police very heavily, right? Yeah, naturally. Like the police are doing a lot of the state's work, right? They're doing a tremendous amount of, or they're... Well, I mean, they're certainly doing heavy kind of social control of favelas and of... Social control, black, that's the state's work, right? Black people and... Some would argue that's... Yeah. Inherent to stateness. Yeah. Depressing. Depressing. Uh, all right. I got one more. You got one more? No, I don't. Actually, this one is not. Uh... It's from the last class. <laughs> no, it's from this class, but I didn't. We didn't all right. About it. All right. Page 78. 
The variable with the strongest impact in all jurisdictions except Uruguay is the presence of a private attorney to accompany or prod or supplant the prosecution, not the persecution. No, the, the, the prosecution, prosecution of the police. Right. To accompany the prosecution. So if you can hire your own attorney, mm -hmm. that's the main variable right. that matters. Mm -hmm. Or if, a, if some group takes up your cause, if we think cause, about right. some of these other things that we read about in the previous book that we were reading... Right, if a human rights groups were, if a human rights group were to, I have been talking about that blood in the water book on the Attica prison yeah, yeah. riots, and I guess I'm just thinking here again about how it's like in some of these places, everyone has about the same chance of conviction as those prisoners had against the police that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's just really. It's wild. Yeah. Good book. Heather Thompson, Blood in the Water, if you're bored. I'd highly recommend it. Great, great, great book. It's not about Latin America, but... Yeah, we, I feel like we talked about it on one podcast, but probably for the other class. Probably for another class. Um, all right, so having a private attorney matters. I've got some more on this card. Mm -hmm. Hang on. I gotta get where I can see it here. This is from page 79, the very next page. The most vulnerable members of society, residents of shanty towns, the poor, the unemployed, in Cordoba, Buenos Aires, Sao Paulo, and Salvador, are not only more frequent targets of violence, they cannot even count on the courts for redress after the fact. For them, democracy truly has not brought an increase in legal protection from the state, and the courts are no restraint on the power of Leviathan. In Sao Paulo, Salvador, and Buenos Aires, and in the shanty towns and lower class neighborhoods of Cordoba, as Hobbes once said, covenants being but words and breath have no force to oblige, contain, constrain, or protect any man but what it has from the public sword. I thought I'd end with a little Hobbes yeah. for you there, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's a bummer. It's it's kind of a dark chapter. Oh yeah, I mean, the only real hopefulness here you get is like the Uruguayans, really. I think in the whole yeah, who have like a strong ideological commitment to equality. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I actually think is fascinating, and I, I haven't re I didn't reread the whole book obviously for thinking about class today, but what I recall from the Uruguay chapter that I thought was so striking when I read this book the last time um, was this sense that one of the things that is so different and why you get such a different discourse and such a different everything is that the Uruguayans actually see crime as like a socially embedded problem. So they're like, mm -hmm. well, like they partly see it's like one of these other things where one of the variables he looks at is like how heinous was the crime the person committed and right. It's right. like essentially did they like, did, did people justify it as like, well, they deserved it? Kind of like these kind of things that he looks at. And it's like the Uruguayans are the most likely in like their kind of public opinion and whatnot to be like, well, like this person was poor and didn't have opportunity and needed to be provided education. Right. And like, right. so they have these like far more kind of like social explanations for crime as opposed to sort of like social deviance and this kind of thing, um, which then makes them 
yeah, like far more to see the to see the victims in these cases as far more human, basically, right? The victims of police of police brutality. Police brutality. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's like interesting that there's sort of broader sense of equality that has these like explanations where they're willing to see. I mean, and some of this, I think, from my understanding, from like a general social responsibility for. Yeah, and I mean, I know. think I think crime has increased somewhat, and I think that Uruguay even has been influenced by some of this more like tough on crime kind of language. And I feel like Juan was has done some Juan Bogliacini has done some work on that, right? Where I think some of this, some of that, is like bleeding into Uruguayan politics too, that has affected the region more broadly, but. They do have this like sort of history. They're more equal, period, right? There's less inequality in the country, and then there's like more because maybe because of that, or related to the fact that they have redistribution. Is this more sense that like redistribution is what is required to sort of solve these problems, as opposed to thinking about um, kind of military response to um, social problems? It's just wild how much. Brazil protects its police. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, or, I, I mean, not necessarily protects well, its And, police. like, allows for, like, extrajudicial... Killing. Killing. Yeah, I mean, that's wild, too. Right, both. I mean, they have both very high rates of killing and very low conviction rates, very low accountability. I mean, you would expect that to go hand in hand, right? Because the less accountability, the more police are just like, whatever, just kill them. Right. I suppose that if you assume that police are monsters and want to kill. No. I mean, I wasn't making that assumption. But I do think that where you have these cultures where they reinforce, right, where, like, part of policing is that you're expected to, like, clean this up and cleaning it up means taking extrajudicial action. And that is actually supported by the judicial system that maybe you also see as incompetent and unable to do its job. So, like, if the judicial system can't take these criminals off the street, then that's our job is to do it, and we're rewarded by the judicial system for doing it or at least not punished, right? I mean, I don't don't think you have to see the police as monsters to see that system of lack of accountability being part and parcel of this um, this kind of a cycle or pattern or however we want to describe it. Right. And that's, I think what I wanted to talk about, uh, before, which is like how much of this is about the courts, um, refusing to hold police accountable and how much of this is about like the relative strength and weakness of law enforcement, like of the police versus the courts, right? Like how much of this is about like courts being crummy versus versus police being versus them protecting police. Right. You see the difference? Right? Yes, like, I do. Like um, are they just like wicked low capacity courts? So I think that I would say that in the cases of these police killings that they are protecting the police. Okay. That okay. it is it is a, and like the way the That's system That's a drag to hear. I think the way that I would feel better if it's just like oh the courts are like really they can barely like I think the they courts don't even have robes. <laughs> I mean or I whatever. think I think you 
I think you have. He has to buy his own robes. The judge has to buy his own robes. It's like the U.S. public school system down there. Yeah, he has to buy her in chalk or whatever. Um, I think there is a broader incapacity. I can't remember all the details now to like lay them out, but in a lot of these systems, the way that like the the relationships between courts and police is that the courts rely on certain kinds of police information to prosecute all cases. Uh, right. And so yeah, that basically yeah. when you're right. talking about prosecuting police, like you're going to have to work with these people on your next case. And so that the way that the institutions are set up also creates a kind of a protection that isn't even where you just don't want to... It's not even nefarious. Right. Like, right. it doesn't... I mean, it, it may end up that way, but it's, like, yeah. some of it is, like, about not wanting to, like... It's, like, I depend on these people for, like, information, and so, like, really it's pissing off... Classic moral the, compromises that yeah. are part of yeah, so, so many professional yeah. experiences. And then in some cool, ways, cool. it's, like, the police have, like, the way the laws are written and how the, like, evidence is submitted. Like, basically, it's, like, the police have so much power in mm -hmm. that portion of the like mm -hmm. because they're basically responsible for so much of the evidentiary material right if they're collecting it on themselves like then you require an extraordinarily clean police force willing to like mm -hmm. i guess that's the variable know. that i would really want to he goes into the, sure the, this right, chapter and this is why i like i mean this chapter talked about less of that. I mean, he's so one if, of the greats, so of course he's... If you go late, if you read more of this book, it goes farther into it. And like I said, it's been a little bit, so I don't, I don't remember all the where details. Is, but. Where is... Because I'm out of cards. Where is this uh, Brinks character? I want to say he's like a Notre Dame guy or something, but I may be totally making that up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't remember. He might not. That's probably wrong. I don't know. I didn't really look it up. It's not important. Before, before class. I'm calling. I've started calling the podcast class. Well, I've called it that now multiple times this evening. Feels like it. Feels like feels it. Feels like it. These after now on week seven. Now on week seven and after eleven p.m. It's after eleven p.m. Shoot, it's I late. I told Simone tonight that she was like, "What time are you hoping to get to bed?" <laughs> what did you tell her? Well, I had to look at the clock and I saw that it was like eight thirty. Yeah, it's actually eight thirty-nine little later than I like and I was like well 11 o'clock would be like the earliest that yeah. we could be coming to bed yeah she's like I'm only asking because I knew you had to like double podcast <laughs> double podcast well so anyway I was hoping for 11 but looks like looks like we we, we done blown right past blown right past it well guys on that note we will let you go so that we can let ourselves go to bed to bed and I hope you're all doing well and uh, stay safe and sane. All right. Bye-bye.